0: podcast is brought to you by grandpa still remembers grandpa paul's practical parables are part of his real life experiences what is learned from the life we live has a lot to do with the perspective that defines our priorities what is remembered is colored by our perception of the purpose for which we have the privilege of living in the first place My Horse Quits Working. My Horse wasn't really old at all when he quit working. He was more interested in enjoying the lazy luxuries of Grandpa Paul's farm than allowing Jessie to ride him outside his pasture to explore the woods. He had been outside when she led him to the pond, where he pawed the surface of the water. "'and lowered his muzzle into it, blowing bubbles. "'He had visited the neighbor's farm, "'but willingly followed the bucket of grain "'back to the barn and his pasture. Zack was intent on getting more grain any way he could. "'I say he quit working because he unseated any rider "'who was on his back, or just refused to walk "'if the rider somehow convinced him "'that he wouldn't be unseated. "'The retired old man Zack had taken care of him "'hadn't failed him yet.' He fed him grain every day. He even bribed him with grain to be able to remove the burdock burrs from his mane and tail, but he never left that grain box open. There is lots of evidence of Zack's repeated efforts to help himself. The far edge of the cover has been chewed back even with the edge of the box from all his attempts to lift the lid with his teeth. Once Zack did succeed in pulling a nearly full bag of grain out of the box— I can only speculate how it was done. A corner of the bag was caught under the lid, and he reached over the box, clamped his teeth on the corner, and pulled up. The lid opened away from him, as the full bag was lifted into the air out of the box, but not over the raised lid. The coroner tore off the bag. The bag fell outside the box, on the far side of the box. He didn't eat that whole bag of grain, so he didn't kill himself. My still young horse had chosen to retire from work and just watched everything that we did. He kept Ellen company when she worked in the garden. He came to beg for sweet corn when I was picking it for her to cut off the cob to freeze. I always gave him some of the corn stalks, but never the bucket full of corn cobs after Ellen had cut off all the corn. When we picked wild apples and ground them up to make cider in the press Ellen's dad had made, Zack wanted to eat all the apple pulp. I only gave it to him a little at a time. He had no control over his appetite and had no idea that he could kill himself with an overdose of rich food. Zack liked to eat and laze around, but he sure was beautiful when he chose to run. Now he had decided to quit. Is there such a thing as early retirement for horses? There were so many activities on the farm with all the members that were here that Zack wasn't missed very much. He did have a retirement plan offered by the lady who had sold him to me, but it hadn't yet been activated. I would have to pay her $50 every month for her to care for him in his retirement. If I couldn't find a suitable home that would take care of him. Maybe I could give him to my neighbor, who had six other horses on her small place near the stream. The pasture she used was actually, then, my land, and I charged her nothing for its use. Her son wanted to ride Zack. After all, he was beautiful and very fast, but he only tried him a couple of times and gave up. Zack wasn't into obedience or pleasure riding. The days were full that summer, and only Zack knew that he had quit work. My elder sister Leilani was one of the many family members who had gathered to witness and share the joy of Jeff and Lindsay's wedding. Leilani, two years older than I, was retired and in a long email wrote of her visit to Grandpa Paul's farm. Keep in mind that she was a lonely storyteller from drought-ridden Texas, visiting New York in the summer. She clearly idealized life at the farm and even left some of her clothes hanging in the purple room closet to have here, she said, if she ever returned to retire. She has since passed away, and we found this copy of her email written at that time. Here is what she wrote. I'm home from a wonderful trip to central New York to celebrate Jeff Brown and Lindsay Buell's wedding, Saturday, August 15th. I then transitioned back by bus to my real world of 102 degrees heat, constant sun, and continued drought. In central New York, near Cooperstown, it rains. There are lakes and beaver ponds and little springs. There are muskrats and foxes and flowers and trees and all kinds of birds and butterflies. There were summer apples on old trees standing out in the fields and cows and a lovely dappled gray horse. She was talking about Zach who was nearly pure white, actually. There were roosters and hens, both in the field and in the henhouse. There was a goat family, a huge big ram, and a dainty little nanny, who was pregnant, and a couple of kittens, half-grown, named by the grandchildren, Tigger, the aggressive, bouncy one, and Shyster, who was always hiding. Actually, the names would be hard to verify, since there were five or six kittens in the hayloft, that the girls could tell apart only by which paw had red fingernail polish painted on which claws. I know one was called Her Highness, another was Shyness, and a darker kitten with tiger markings was first called Chocolate, later shortened to Choco. We still have Shyness and Choco. And there were 12 wonderful grandchildren, mostly under the age of 12, four for each of the three families who were there. One family from Hollywood, California, one family from British Columbia, the area where they had the terrible forest fires, and one from North Carolina. Paul Henry's four grandchildren in North Africa stayed there with their father, who is the on-site coordinator for experience at tours, while Paul Henry and Ellen tend to bookings and organizing on this end. Look it up on the internet. Paul Henry and Ellen have the most amazing grandchildren. They're all toe-headed and bright-eyed and full of energy, from sun-up until bedtime. They eat what is served with thanksgiving and look out for each other peaceably so that grown-ups can talk and visit without interruptions from kids. I heard no whining, no complaining, no tattling, and no unkind words at any time. From anyone. No threats, no spankings. It was amazing, with so many little people all in one house for a week. I guess this is what is going to be like in heaven. "'a little crowded, but a lot of happy. "'I'm sure she was dreaming. "'Now she knows so much more that she has gone to heaven. "'The old turn-of-the-century farmhouse on Weeks Road "'has four bedrooms upstairs, one downstairs, "'originally the parlor. "'However, there was only one-and-a-half bathrooms. "'There were two tents in the yard.' Grandpa Paul Henry and his wife Ellen slept out in the tent because they said it was so quiet and peaceful out there. There was also one pop up camper trailer. Ellen shopped and planned for thirty people, and we ate sumptuously, three times a day. Country fare, like ham and biscuits and blueberry pies, and exotic dishes, too, like fried plantains, chicken, and lemon with Nam a flatbread from the Middle East, and an African dish with all kinds of vegetables and ground meat in a sauce that was a little spicy and hot. I think that was actually a Moroccan dish. Ellen bought 300 paper plates, and instead of having to wash lots and lots of dishes, we just tossed them in the burn barrel after each meal and gave the food scraps to the chickens, the goats, or even the kittens. The garden was a dream. The tomatoes had got the blight, probably from too much rain, but the cucumbers and squash were enormous. The green beans had to be picked daily, and the corn was sweet. Children, with nothing to do, could go out and pull weeds or bring in something for the next meal. The kitchen was a very busy place, with bread, pies, and cookies being baked often, everything made from scratch even the angel food birthday cake. And the cleanup happened so fast, with everyone doing his part, being the dishwasher was an honor, it seemed. Children rarely had nothing to do. Mothers and dads planned a trip to a lake, to falls to swim, to a blueberry farm for picking, to Cooperstown for the baseball hall of fame. There was a hayloft in which to build forts, trees to climb, all sorts of swings to swing on. Of course, they were all the farm animals, to feed and to chase and to pet. The billy goat would chase anyone who got too near his nanny. The horse had to be caught before he could be ridden. The chickens and the kittens loved to play hide-and-seek, and eggs could be found in surprising places." There was a parrot who whistled along with Paul Henry and chatted happily to himself when the house was quiet. She was an African grey Paul Henry has had for almost twenty years, and a bright bird from the Caribbean was there that squawked loudly from time to time if you paid attention to the grey one. I mainly watched all the happy interaction and told stories and had stories told to me and drew pictures and painted with watercolors. It's been a wonderful world for a week, but now I'm safely home, refreshed in body, mind, and spirit. There was more to her email, which I must say is rather idealistic, especially when describing my grandchildren, who did no wrong and received no spankings. I know that they did receive spankings from their parents, who loved them so much that they disciplined them and taught them to love God and obey Him. Obeying God meant that the children should honor their parents, and that the husband should love his wife and give himself for her, and she should submit to her husband and obey him. I know their parents received spankings when they were growing up, and we have no greater joy than to know that our children are walking in the truth. Our youngest, married during the time Leilani was visiting, now has his own wife and three children to care for, and I can easily understand Leilani's idealistic view as she watched life from the sunny landing at the top of our stairs. We love to see Jeff's little ones growing up to know and love the Lord. I started this parable talking of my horse and his decision to quit working his expectation that he could do whatever he pleased, eat all he wanted, depend totally on the old farmer to care for him, and just live his lazy life indefinitely in my pasture, not even providing rides to my grandchildren. He just quit, nowhere near old enough to retire. However, the farmer and his equipment was getting old, the 50-year-old Farmall 706 tractor's replacement engine quit working. So, I bought a 40-year-old Ford 4000 tractor. All the haymaking equipment and wagons were badly worn, but since we rather enjoyed making hay with our John Deere 24T baler, we didn't quit. After all, Zack, our Arabian horse, still ate a lot of hay. Over 80 years ago, the Social Security Act was signed into law to pay retired workers aged 65 or older a continuing income after retirement. They contributed to the Social Security Fund all their working lives, but who takes care of those who just quit, like my horse Zach, and never make contributions to retirement fund at all? What if the fund simply fails when the number of workers declines because all the children have been aborted and never worked? What if the people no longer die at about age 70, but normally live past 80, or even 90? What if the money paid out for Social Security devalues to the point where it buys nothing? I can tell you what happened in Zaire when it was my responsibility to care for the aging workmen at Raythe Academy, and the Société Nationale de Sécurité Sociale Programme had failed. Shouldn't we rather live our lives exercising our gifts to serve others and glorify God in all we do, looking for that blessed hope that He has put before us? You've been listening to Paul's Parables stories conveying a spiritual lesson from the perspective of a foreign culture.